Hi, folks. Jamie Oichel here from RunningRestaurants.com. Hold on to your hats because I get into it with Mark McDonald of LaSalle Grill from South Bend, Indiana. These guys have been around for 27-plus years in the fine dining upscale category. They're absolutely killing it uh, at their, their main restaurant, and he's changing his business to, uh, to account for the new folks that are, that are coming along, uh, expanding into things like catering. So he shares lots of secrets of the things they're doing well uh, that they've done over time, but then how to shift that into what's happening today, like uh, a success story that they did on, on Facebook, uh, a post that did really well. So lots of neat tips that you're absolutely going to be able to use in your business. So here we go. So let's go back in time to uh, to that to 1991 sure. or to, you know 27 years ago. Now you're well, talking about uh, where you were and you got started. Is, did you just open up, bang bang, and you decided to go for it, or, or what happened to get you? Well, here, the here's the thing. My 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 history with South Bend uh, goes back to 1976, and I I moved over here. Uh, I had a friend from Michigan. I'm, I'm from a city called Michigan City, about 30 miles west. Uh, that's on the shores of Lake Michigan, and I moved over here to go to beauty college. The movie Shampoo had come out in 74, so it legitimized many uh, straight men to start cutting hair, being beautician. And so it was inexpensive. We could do it. I'd I'd done a number of other jobs, railroad conductor uh, and that bartending off and on and the bartending was my part-time gig and I got a job with Continental Restaurant Systems. They are no longer around. They were a division of Ralston Purina and they had restaurants called the Boar's Head which were uh, much like Steak and Ale uh, which was a contemporary founded. Norm Brinker and Al Johnson were associates at one time. They went their separate paths but had similar type restaurants. And it was the first time working in a restaurant where it was organized. There was a manual. And I really learned a lot. And they offered me a chance to go to be a key holder, a key employee, uh, to do some training as I progressed over the about a year and a half and to go into management eventually. And I said, why not? It was 27 years old. It was 77. And uh, I... Asked the question when I was hired. I said, "Hey, what's the what's the fastest anyone went from, you know, assistant manager to GM, you know, store manager?" And sure. He said, "Oh, two years." I said, "Really? Okay." So I set a goal. I said, "I'm going to beat that," and I made it in 14 months. And <laughs> it, it it's where you learn to play the corporate games. You know, you want to be recognized, <laughs> dress like the executives. <laughs> You know, so I did. You know, I copied that in some of the modes, and I, though I had a failed college career because I really didn't know what I wanted, I always had a good habit of reading. And so I I read a lot. You know, I started learning about business, and the big breakthrough moment came when I came, I transferred around the Midwest and came back to South Bend in 1981 to run a place called Tip Canoe Place, which was one of the... Mm-hmm founders of Studebaker's, uh, it's a 25,000-square-foot stone mansion built in 1888. And uh, they they opened in, oh, about nine months before I got there. And they had uh, they hired a guy from outside because they didn't think any of us seasoned GMs could do it. And he that led to a unionization effort, which was an anathema for Ralston Purina. They are 
virulently um, anti-union. And so that guy's epitaph was written. And as soon as the vote came and it rejected the union, I came in and was installed as the new GM. And it was they had so screwed this opening up that the public was having a hard time. And the president of our division at that time, a guy named George Hauer, who went on to open George's at the Cove in La Jolla, and now George's California Modern, a fantastic mm-hmm. restaurant, gave me a book. He had a, he was a Marine, former Marino. Well, he's a Marine officer. You're always a Marine. And he gave me Tom Peters' book. He says, here, read this book. I'm making you an entrepreneur. It'll tell you about it in there. Read it, reread it. Go to your competitors in town. See what they do. Only focus on what they do better than you. Adapt it, improvise, overcome. That old Marine mantra, you know, of uh, improvise, adapt, overcome. And he let me run it like I owned it. He says, run this place like you own it. And we got to do our own menus. We hired a real chef that had a Culinary Institute of America degree. And so I got to really be an entrepreneur and open and reopen a restaurant under the aegis of a chain. And so it was very comfortable until seven years down the road or six and a half. Everybody who was in between me and him, he had left the company to do his own thing. And I was honored that he called me to be the first GM, but uh, it would be quite a culture shock and cost a living shock as I was growing a family by then to move from South Bend to La Jolla. For sure. For sure. I can't pay you that much and you're going to take a loss, you know, in terms of your your cost of living, but it'll work out. And now I think they do 20 million bucks a year in sales. So I kind of rue that, but if I had done that, I probably wouldn't have opened my own restaurant. And that after the guys in between me and him all uh, came back to rule my life, they were a little resentful. So they they wanted to kind of take some of that power I had away, and I said, 1987, sure. time to go. And I, I went to run the Century Center, which is our convention center, at a company called Service America, which is now Centerplate. But I learned volume food service. How do you serve 2,000 people at a time, which was fortuitous. But still, the dream open, and I, I had set a goal. I want to be in business for myself by the time I'm 40 or the end of 1990, which was my 40th year. So we closed on the deal at 9.30 a.m. on 12.31.90. I, <laughs> I ran my goal right to the last hours. Yeah, you did. And we opened April, yeah, April 8th, 1991. Okay. And uh, so I wanted yeah, and it, one of the goals was make it an institution. I want it to be here in a hundred years. Hundred years. I'm quarter of the way there. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely on the right path because I, as you know, as I go through all of the the site and 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 the reviews of all the folks visiting your place, I think uh, you mm-hmm. know you're going on 27 plus years now. Uh, every every uh, the story is, is is a fantastic success story. You've got the the, the Diamond Award, the Four Diamond Award for I think twenty one, yeah. twenty two years in a row. Twenty two. We just got our last one. Yeah. 
22. 22. So you're you're doing things right, and and there's no way you did things right from day one, even though you had a, had a lot of experience. So, you know, let, let's let, if you if you go back to the early days, what what some things you you screwed up pretty bad? What do you think? Oh, what was it? Well, oh well, it was good and bad. We we hired a fantastic chef who had uh, again a culinary institute grad. I went fishing for some chefs in the Chicago area with an ad in the Chicago Tribune. And I found a guy named Tony Bambachi who had graduated. He worked for, he did a fellowship with Jean Bonchet from Les Francais, which was at one time Esquire noted the best restaurant in America. And that was back in the eighties and had done some stages in both France and Italy at some of the Michelin star restaurants. And he was just, a fantastic talent, but immediately I told him I want my thing is I, I, I love steakhouses. I want steaks cooked on a live, live hardwood fire. Other than that, the menu's yours. So make it all work. And he did. It was at the end of Nouvelle Cuisine, so we had very precise platings, big 13-inch white plates with small portion of food in the middle, and that's an entree, which is kind of back now in many cases, but it was way over the head of South Bend and the area. And while the food was fantastic and we really broke the mold in terms of what any restaurant had been before that in South Bend, but it also engendered and gave us our lingering uh, bad reputation of, oh, you can't get enough to eat. And, there was all that not true. It's just what people took away. And over the years, our menu has that it's kind of, well, I sometimes say do devolve, but it's actually evolved with the market and what the tastes are today. And in the Midwest, people still eat with their eyes and they equate value with portion size. Yeah, well, so we've been able nice to do big, some things. There. Yeah. Have you but always that been probably, uh, that was that a mistake? I don't know. You know, it we worked yeah. we had to work to overcome that, yes. On the so. on the category side, have you always categorized yourself upscale fine dining or did it shift uh, over time? Need no, no it, it's no, it's always been that because that's what I had learned. I had a chance and and the company I worked for back at Typica New Place brought in experts on wine service at a level above because that was what that's what screwed it up they were going to do all kind of a common our chain restaurant menu on the first two floors and on the third floor was supposed to be an elegant french restaurant and that never took place and yet people's expect people wanted that there was a certain amount of that white collar class middle management that wanted that and and the fathers and of the town you know and uh, it, we didn't deliver, so we we brought that up, and I that's all I did for seven or six and a half years was fine dining research, fine dining, go into Chicago and and go to Les Francais and Le Perroquet and some of the old line French restaurants and fine dining places to learn. And so when I came out, I said, well, that's what I know the best, so I better stay with that. And there really was a there was only one other fine dining restaurant at the time in the area called a restaurant called the Carriage House, 
another uh, AAA Ford Diamond winner, and it's they've been around almost. I think they're going on 40 years, but with new manager or new owners now for the last three years. But now there are five or six of us, including the carriage house, in in a market that's relatively the same population size, and uh, we. At least our city and their sister city next door, Mishawaka, have turned the population decline into gains in the last five years. Uh, we have a very dynamic um, young mayor who is kind of slotted to potentially be a presidential candidate in the new Democrat Party, kind of. Uh, but really? he's very—he's a liberal Democrat, not my politics necessarily, but he is a pro commerce guy and our city has fared better under him than the last three mayors so he gets things done sure i want to ask you a question just as you as you travel if if you were to travel back in time to today's uh, upscale fine dining environment where 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 you are today you could go to your dining room tonight or last night and then you go back over time how it's changed in terms of the expectation uh how people dress how they behave the service that they're expecting oh. uh for good and bad what what do you think you would kind of pinpoint as some of those differences and then what's maybe good about today uh that 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 you would point at oh well uh back then people dressed for dinner we could tell people they go what's the dress code and we'd we at first we'd say coat and tie, and then we'd say, well, most gentlemen. Then maybe seven years later, you go, most gentlemen wear a coat, a sports coat, uh, at least. And then you go uh, business casual, and then it evolved into um, no. The only thing would be no T-shirts with vulgar language or ripped jeans. You know, America has changed, and so you have to change with that. Uh, people's expectations were, and we haven't changed the level of service. Though I do hear from some of our millennial customers, you know, we like the food downstairs, but it's it's too stuffy. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, over the years, we rented space the first floor of the restaurant, then we rented space on the second floor and got into doing private dining and banquets. And then in 1998, we were able to purchase the building and we converted the third floor, which is loft space, exposed brick, real high ceilings. It was kind of an industrial space years ago into a cigar martini jazz club and served the downstairs menu to people who wanted to eat, you know, kind of uh, stogies and fogies. And as, as the state outlawed, smoking and the city put a ban into smoking i said well that's the end of club LaSalle." and one of the things i really found and i enjoyed and did some research were gastro pubs and how they appealed to millennials i said well knowing that if you don't change and you don't do anything to expand your customer base particularly in fine dining they eventually retire move or and die in that order. And so I looked at, boy, all the people are in their 40s. When I opened, they're now in their 60s. They're in Florida and Arizona during the winter. Some, All the people in their 60s are now passed away. What am I going to do? I don't want to die. So I created the third floor that appeals to 25 to 40 in hopes that I'll turn my demographic and get those people to have a better quality 
pub dining kind of a bar dining experience. We focus on, you know, a dynamic craft beer 14 tap unit that, you know, we change a lot. Uh, we use untapped to reach out to our social media to tell them, hey, this hot new beer's on, come down. Uh, and, but the big thing is that it, that it helped solidify my, my base. So I created something for that. And now I'm coming back. My next thing is to kind of hip up the grill, the first floor. I'm toying with taking the tablecloths off and having nice cherry-topped tables, which you see in our trades. Any fine dining restaurant that opens these days doesn't have tablecloths. Might have cloth napkins, but I don't know. You know yet, I don't know whether I can do that. I can. There's still the people that go down there. There's certain a, a great element that still has an expectation of, you know, tablecloths and nice seating and you know a carpet. Um, but ours is still. I don't think it's stuffy. I think it's kind of has a timeless modern look because we adopted elements of the Prairie School, which is very you know Frank Lloyd Wright. Good angular lines, little details, and things like that. And I don't think it's stuffy. You know, the service might be, but I I even saw that Ritz Carlton was getting away and and kind of hipping their their restaurants up and their approach. They they're kind of eliminating my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure, and going to what is apropos to the person you're serving. You know, and we're, that's what we're doing. We're trying to tailor our approach a little bit more formal with, you know, people in their 60s and 70s and maybe late 50s and, and a little less, you know, um, more affable, more casual to the people who are coming in in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. What I uh, find interesting is, about again, that. difficult. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's a different mindset, and and you're playing the long game, mm-hmm. as you as you talked about early on. You want to you want to be yes. in existence for a long time as a restaurant, and sure, the the customer base changes, their personality changes, their expectations change, and you hit on a, on a lot of key things. The, the the 30 year old dining out is very different than the 65 year old dining out, and what they're looking for. Yes, and and you want to and you want to kind of meet both of those things, and it's, very, it's actually it's a very interesting thing to talk about. And I, I did notice on on your site one of the things that you're doing which is which is more uh customary these days is talking about your lo- local products and your produce so i wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about that how, how do you bring that into your business the the local vendors that you use how do you talk about it how do you choose them how do you market that what's going on there we we don't beat people over the head because where we are it's damn near impossible to to do a farm to table 365 days a year Right now, it's it's approaching mid-March, and there's two inches of snow out on the ground. I look out right. the window, and if it's March, in my, though we always get snow in March, um, we we do as much as we can, and, ha- and and offer unique items. There there is not a groundswell, I would say, from the public that you must do this, and that is ultimately important. It is to a certain extent. Uh, more importantly, is the is the ability to uh, offer vegan or, veg, or vegetarian. Well, 
I, t- I used to have a vegetarian and a vegan. I said, no, let's save a space. We can offer something else. Just make it vegan because any vegetarian will go vegan. And then kind of listing those things with a V or a VG or, you know, on mm-hmm. other menu items and honoring those food allergies and, and knowing about food allergies and being able to react to those uh, gluten-free, those are certainly things that we more that we've tried to focus on. But the, these local vendors kind of come to us. I just got an email yesterday from a, from a guy um, south of us in Indiana, and he is doing microgreens. And another, there's a lot of those, and he's offering some ones with more color and more presentation. And I am trying to get back to a, a more defined, clear, you know, sharp, what I call the... the the kitchen staff, sharp-edged presentations. Go back to a little bit more of the vertical food, you know, stacking and mm-hmm. making things look stunning on the plate. Um, and, and and microgreens and fresh herbs, those, those all help that. And then having, you know, the best quality meat you can. Uh, we've purchased a few um, Wagyu, 100% Wagyu steers, uh, the guy I was using, it was in Kentucky, and it was fun to go down there because he was in outside of Paris, Kentucky, which is the uh, county seat of uh, Bourbon County, and he did the butchering over in Bardstown. So hmm. the chef and I would go. We always had a grand <laughs> We'd go to a distillery. But now the, the guy I'm talking to is down in Tennessee, even further away. And it just makes it hard to get the really good Wagyu up. We had no problem utilizing it and charging for it, which was interesting. People really got off on that. That was one thing that was unique about us. Nobody else is offering 100% Wagyu, American Wagyu. It isn't Kobe. It isn't A5. You don't have to go all that way. But uh, we we also are talking to a farmer right now uh, over about 15 miles from us, who has a rather sizable farm and has a portion of it, he says, hey, I'll grow anything you need that I can grow. You know, give me a list and we'll come to a price. So we're talking to him right now and to having LaSalle Farms maybe. You know, we. Okay. And I said, could we call it that? Could we call that plot, put a sign up, and this is LaSalle Farms, take a picture of it and say, hey, we have our own farm. <laughs> I, I, so, well, I like that. I'd I like, like that idea that. for, for yeah. branding. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, all that so yeah, all that stuff is really interesting. I don't know. I can ramble. It does. It does. Well, it's it's a change. I'm sure it's a change in mindset. I I think that the consumers are looking for on the menu what's kind of interesting about what you have versus what someone else has, especially it's a differentiation. Yeah. Um, you know, from 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 a chain sort of operation. Uh, it's like so. Just well, talking in general to, to our audience now. From them. Uh, yeah, and it's, you know, it's, and just, it's just, working just, against your independent competitors—that's where the race is, and uh, it's yeah. a constant—it's a constant struggle for that market share. Yeah, there's only so much uh, wallet that each person has, and and you know, you know this for sure. You're fighting for that wallet every day. So someone has a choice. Let's say they go out to dinner six times a month, and a big, you know, in terms of a nice a nice meal. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't you love to capture two of those, three of those, four of those? 
versus oh, one yeah, or, or zero. So it's a, it, it's a battle. And the other thing, is, since we're talking about sort of the local environment, and I and I saw this again on, on, on mm-hmm. your site, and I wanted to ask you because I think it's also a differentiator for independents. You mentioned a variety of organizations that you uh, work with in your area that you support. Uh, whether it's charities or, or giveaways or otherwise, talk mm, about the importance yeah. of that. Talk about talk about how you choose who you support. Well, charitable marketing is definitely something that we got involved in from the right from the start. And if people will, what I hear back is, well, the Sal Grill, boy, it's the best restaurant in the area, or it's really high quality. Oh, they're they're very charitable and they're very community minded. I love to hear that yeah. because that was a stated a stated goal that we wrote down in the beginning. And, you know, it still is in our document called Commitments and Standards, which we recently completely overhauled on our 26th anniversary last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, making it a culture of inspired hospitality, kind of borrowing from Danny Meyer a bit. Um, but people regard us well that way, and it's really worked. Um, I'm a product of Catholic education, so I've always, you know, I said, boy, if the if the nuns in grade school hadn't, you know, forced me to learn, I wouldn't be where I was. So I've always I've always supported that. Uh, we support uh, the local food bank quite a bit. Um, other schools, uh, gosh, there's so many. South Bend has a, I think it's like. In the top, it must be in the top ten of cities in the nation with the most nonprofits uh, that are located here. A lot of organization, Boys and Girls Club, uh, the Studebaker National Museum, uh, because of my association uh, with Tip Canoe Place, the home of Clement Studebaker. I've always had a fond spot in my heart for that museum because because that was one of the things we did to turn the tide back in. 1981 is associate ourselves with, you know, finding a, a permanent home for the Studebaker collection, half of which mm-hmm. the city owns. And so I, I'm, I'm chair emeritus of that board and, and help. I was president during the time that we built the museum in 2005. And so that's been a big thing. Uh, I love history and the history museum. I mean, it's a lot of, things I like personally. Uh, so we support those. Yeah, and, I think that uh, I think that's great. I think it's great to be a member of a community. And for you to hear that feedback, un, unsolicited it sounds like, that you are uh, yeah. not only a great restaurant, but um, you know, but a really strong support of the community. It's a, it's a big difference. It's gonna it's gonna help uh, in the long term in terms of uh, you know if if people come to the decision of who should I support A, a or B, they're they're gonna go with the A person who's been there for the community uh, for the long time. Yep. And you just you, you wow. mentioned um, this this phrase, and I want to I want to come to it. You said commitment and and standards yeah. and uh, culture. Commitments uh, and standards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, commitments and standards. That, that was a just, document that we use and everybody gets oriented to it. It was written, co-written by myself and a great friend called Bill Murray, not the Bill Murray, but his name's Bill Murray with one L and he was, he helped me put it together and he came back 26 years later and helped me put the next one together and uh, kind of defines who we are, our values, our our core values, our mission uh, and then how, what are the standards that support those in each job in the restaurant? 
from LaSalle mm-hmm. Grill Server, LaSalle Grill Bartender, LaSalle Kitchen and Tavern Server, LaSalle Kitchen and, and Tavern Bartender, cooks in both places, our catering. They all have defined core standards. And it's something we refer back to and we use as a guide. Um, and it's worked, I think it's worked very well. It's, it, you know, we go through our, we have an employee handbook, but then we use this and we focus on this and we, and we do, uh, we, we take a different core value at each uh, pre-shift, which we call Q-time, uh, which I meant for quality time. It's actually an old Stouffer's hotel and restaurant term. They were owned by the Brits and Q, Q-U-E-U-E lineup. That's what they used. Yep. You know, you'd queue up instead of lining up in Britain. And so I adapted that, and that is another thing that has helped us move in a common direction and keep people informed and knowledgeable about the menu, the wine list changes. Uh, we meet it at 4.30 to 5 o'clock every day and have and and have religiously made a commitment. There has always been a queue time every day that we've been open for 27 years upcoming. So I think that was one thing that differentiates us rather than, okay, we're open, we're going to open in five minutes, I'll get ready, you know. No, we calmly sit down at the table, and that might have been what you saw uh, a video yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to skip over. I don't want to skip over that for people that are listening. Like, like reset what what he just said there. Is that every day for twenty plus years they sit down for half an hour with the whole staff, and they talk about the business. And and then it's, it's no surprise that that turns into results. So um, to strategically mm-hmm. think about it, you know, the, you call it pre-shift queue time, but 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 mentally that just lets people absorb the knowledge, the culture, the feeling. It lets you communicate. The expectation is you're going to do mm-hmm. it every day. Um, you're not going to skip. I mean, and, you know, so if restaurants are out there listening and they're wondering, you know, why are we not getting the results that, that we want? Uh, part of it can come to this sort of process right here. Well, how are you communicating with people? What are you doing on a daily basis to, to drive these things home? And, and if you take this, this idea in and of itself, if you just did that one thing and you did it for 30 days in a row and you built a habit out of it, I, I promise it's going to make a big difference in your restaurant, and and, and you obviously are are, are an example of that. So, it, I was going to ask you about your people uh, to follow up, but you really kind of hit on it right there that you take your training seriously. Uh, what, what other side sort of tips inside of the people uh, development uh, universe would you would you share with with other well, operators? Well, that's uh, something that's something that we're we're a bit too seat of the pants. We are we're. Um, we're adapting, and we're going to move to hot schedules, a product okay. uh, that I've mm-hmm. researched and talked to the people, and I think they are, have also roll, just rolling out their training. They have a training program, a module where you can do the curriculum, and it's online. People have to, you know, it, it's verification. It's testing on the material that mm-hmm. they're required to read. It's issuing, you know, ha- and it's it's online learning, and I want to get to that, and then we're trying to work, we're trying to train our trainers and make that a more formal, uh, systematic training process. The chain I came from uh, for years, and, you, and you, we learned it in, in, as a trainer, we were drilled in it, and it was, the company called it STM, the Systematic Training Method. Mm-hmm. We, we derisively, derisively uh, uh, referred to it as stop torturing me. 
you know, because you'd show them. There, but but you had to. But they were big bugs on follow the steps. There were like six right. steps. You know, demonstrate. You know, explain what you're going to do. Demonstrate it. Have them do it. You know, follow up. You know, question them and then exercise. Okay. You know, it was just I I don't know if that's exactly it, but I want to formalize it more. We 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 could do a better job, and. Uh, the other thing that that we've had is uh, a long-term staff. Though in the last five years, we've seen it's just the way the job market is. It's it's a buyer's market that for the for the staff. You know, that's very low unemployment, um, and they can pick and choose, you know, where to work. But we have done more uh, today. I celebrate my first employee's twenty-seventh uh, year. Uh, there you go. Our our dining room manager, head waiter, uh, Tony Cephas, started March eighth, nineteen ninety one. You know, by cleaning the basement as we were finished trying to finish our construction, and people remarked to that, "Boy, your people are they, they like to see a stable staff. They like to see familiar old old faces, and they which means they like to have relationships." Right. And that's another whole factor in marketing, you know, relationship. And, you know, your your reservation software should have a robust uh, customer relationship management where you put in information, little bits of information about every guest, you know, what they want on the table when they arrive, what wines they particularly like, what table they like. You know, have that tangeray martini with a blue cheese olive on the table when they arrive and those things people they really love you know uh one thing i learned oh maybe it's well it was my 59th birthday so it makes it nine years ago uh at ocean air seafood in indianapolis uh, i had made a reservation i maybe it was open table maybe it was through their website they said, are you celebrating a special occasion? And I said, it's my 59th birthday. So my kids, two kids from IU came up. My daughter was in town for a convention. We all went. And when I walked in, we were, I had called and said, we're going to be a little late. They said, oh, Mr. McDonald, we have your table ready. I mean, I was, the manager was there, sat down. The menu says, happy birthday, you know, Mr. McDonald. And a card was Ooh, signed by thanks. the staff. Uh-huh. I excused myself immediately. Called my general manager. I said, "This starts tomorrow." Since we, <laughs> I want yeah. everybody yeah, to be asked, and boom, and that has been a tremendous thing that really costs us no more money. It takes a little time. Well, we we bought the cards. We bought happy birthday cards, happy anniversary, or congratulations cards, and with our picture on the front, you know, the restaurant and. We do that, and people just when they they sometimes say, "Can I keep the menu?" I said, "Absolutely, put it on your refrigerator, so that you have our brand in front of you, and you remember a great time you had in my restaurant, and you tell other people." So that's been that's been one of the best things. I said, "If we're going to be a special occasion restaurant, we're going to be the absolute best we can be," and that's just one of the things that's easy to do. And uh, particularly if you print your menu, our menu has always changed to a certain extent. 
And so we've invested in that rather than having hardcover menu, have heavy stock paper, and we change the format. I try to do it every three years. We're about due for another one so that you keep it fresh. And that that causes problems. We, we look at the long run. We're in it for the long game. We play the long game, but you must refresh and and alter things, change. I hate to use the word change because my staff hates it. You know, it was easy to change when we first opened. Everybody was into it. And I, I'd say, okay, we're going to do this. Everybody, yeah, we're going to do that. Now, that's the other side of long-term employees' complacency. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, uh, why do we have to do that? You know, so, you know, somebody's got to think ahead, and it's my job as the founder and the CEO is to do the vision, and that's what I've been doing. And I said, hey, here's some things that are happening here and here because I, I look at runningrestaurants.com, and you get a lot of information and many other, many other. Uh, things you can get and sure the difference is utilizing that information and making your your business better when you can when it makes sense yeah i jotted down a couple of things there that i just wanted to reiterate for folks i love i love what you talked about in in terms of capturing about the customer and the reservation software or somewhere else and and being able to bring bring that into their experience um the, the special occasion thing is absolutely fantastic, especially in a fine dining. A lot of folks are obviously using you for their special occasions, yes. so you know take take advantage of that as an opportunity to make it even even more special. And that's and they're absolutely going to take a picture of that that card, and it's going to be in social media, and it's going to enhance the experience, which is exactly what you want. Um, I want to maybe talk about this later, but you you absolutely do a great job of pointing people to your uh, review sites, TripAdvisor, and Yelp, and then that just yes. building that's on itself. Been... But we'll, 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 that's been a that's been a, a major focus the last couple of years. Yeah. It's very important. Well, yeah, well, since, and, I mean, since we're right there, yeah, talk about it. I mean, I, a, lot, a lot of folks hide away from it, but right, you know, front and center, your point oh, is yeah. there. You're, you, well, you can take it. To you can take it, it personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take it personally and get upset. Um, absolutely, uh, there's different levels of it. Um, social media definitely has changed the game. Um, okay. It used to be that you you could control your reputation by good execution, you know, and taking care of problems right then and there, you know, assessing, hey, is everything, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, is everything cooked to your liking here? And, you know, kind of probing and asking. And some people won't tell you. You kind of have the halo effect. They don't want to tell you. They don't want to cause a scene. But they would send a letter. Sometimes they send a letter. Uh, I have, and I don't do it often enough, taken three to five names off the reservation list from the night before, picked up the phone and called people. And mm-hmm, that blows mm-hmm. them away. But I have uncovered things that, that wouldn't have been uncut, wouldn't have been known that were, a, that were a problem or they could go online. And now it, there are some people, and if you look at, there are other reviews, the people who are very very negative or nasty. Well, generally, 90% of the time, you'll find everywhere they go, they, they're terrible. They just have a poor outlook on life. I do find most of them on Yelp, of that ilk, though they exist on other ones. I always call TripAdvisor the adult 
uh, review site. And actually, I okay. spoke to a TripAdvisor person at a conference, and they they don't regard themselves as a review site. They are a travel website. Right. Uh, and re- I'll get a lot of reviews. Open table people are more apt to review than most. And I've told my staff, it's real easy. There's an OT right by their name. It's on the chit that I give you. So focus on them. Uh, TripAdvisor will give you the format to print cards and actually print, you know, uh, through, is it, uh, oh, God, what's the one for business cards, the web, the website? Can't think of it right now, but they'll uh, they'll pay for the first 100, and you can customize them. And they're little cards you can hand out. Server can write their name on it. Um, and I encourage the staff to hand them out to people who have had a stellar time, who are just raving, this is great, I'm glad I found this place. I said, Would you mind very much, it would be great if you could give us a review. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how we built it up to number one. But I will tell you that works because when you when we see an event that brings people from out of town, and the first time I saw it was Notre Dame freshman orientation, all new people, yep. you know, coming to town first time because they're bringing their kid to school. We see that those open tables just massive Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I've told the staff, this is the power of reviews. And I pull up TripAdvisor and I said, see this red button? Book a table. It goes right to open table. They look and they, they look at their, what's the best restaurant in town? Boom. Yep. They hit the red button. They book the table. So it, I said it really pays, you know, to have a great rating and have great reviews. And yeah, absolutely. it's frustrating yeah, absolutely. at times. That's a good example right there. Mm-hmm. You have people who don't who don't even have to verify that they have been to your restaurant right. can affect your reputation. That that's a little unfair at times. So what do you, what can we do about it other than execute brilliantly as much as you can? Yeah, you're hoping to swap so, that one random person that's out there to just hack yeah. the system by by just you know overwhelm them with the good reviews and then the other one fades fades away. It's funny when yeah. you talk about that card. We we um we had a good experience this weekend celebrating my daughter's birthday and we went to one of these escape rooms where you have a challenge and you have to get out in 60 minutes. Oh yeah, and. and and it was fun, super fun. And one of the things they did is they hand they they were very proactive about encouraging you to do a, re, a review, and they handed us a card mm-hmm. like you're talking about. It has the, the dude's name, where to go to to do it, and I, and I was about I'm about to write up an article on it because I said for every, any restaurant should take the same approach because we had a good experience. We're very apt to write a review. It's very apt to be positive, and now that it builds that virtuous cycle that you're talking about. Now the next time someone searched for us for an escape room in Orlando, for example. Uh, that now they're going to come up and it's going to repeat itself over and over again. And that's what you're talking about here with the mm-hmm. freshman orientation example. You know, the folks are in town, they're celebrating, you know, Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy's at the new school. They're excited. They want to have a nice dinner. Where do they go? Well, they go to Google, ba ba ba. They go to Yelp or whatever, wherever they find restaurants. You want to be mm-hmm. right there. Boom. You're right there. Boom. They reserve. 
And so it's it's a part of a process that you need to build into your system. So I, I really I really do like that example. I want to go kind of interesting for a second, and I want to ask you about working mm-hmm. with your wife in the business. Uh, has she always been there? Tell me how you interact, uh, family and restaurants. What, what do you well, what do you think? I I initially had a person, uh, another woman who was with me at Tippecanoe Place, who came over and did did the cash and sales and and kind of local bookkeeping for the Century Center for the job at the Volume Food Service and then followed me and helped me open Tippecanoe Place. My wife had a still a young son and she had a daycare at our home and was doing that until he got to be about five and she says, this is it. I don't want to do this anymore. It's very frustrating. I want to get back to working. And so the other gal wanted to leave and I said, well, here it is. <laughs> you know, like many small businesses, you know, it's a mom and pop. You're the mom. I'm the pop. And uh, she's very, very good with numbers and math. I'm very poor. I could, And the genes have passed down. Fortunately, my kids did get through accounting 101 at Indiana University. But I think they all had to take it twice to get through and pass it. So they had too much of my gene, I think, that the non the – non, uh, Though I can be analytical, I just never had an affinity at math. So uh, she's really helped a lot, and uh, we're now, you know, kind of looking, hey, how can we travel more and take some time off? Uh, my daughter is in the business, and is, is she's been since she was 14, really, and went away to college and had a job where she traveled a lot for uh Newell Rubbermaid when she got recruited out of college mm-hmm. and has come back, you know, because she wanted to raise her family here and uh, married a old classmate when she got back. And so I've integrated her and she has built our, our catering business, which uh, yeah. provides most of the profits. <laughs> and uh, it, That's helped quite a bit and it's eased the pressure on um, cash flow, which is the great thing you a corporation working for a corporation, you may have access and review all the P&Ls and know how to operate on a P&L and maybe even a balance sheet. But what you don't have to deal with is cash flow. And that's mm-hmm. the great awakener in business. You know, when you're in independent business, when you go into business for yourself, oh my God, you know, that, that was the big lesson. And so my wife oh, man, manages I, it. Yeah. Like a champ. I was trying to think of the quote. And the more cash flow you have, the the better it is. Yeah, the thing, something like you manage you manage percentages, but you take you take dollars to the bank. You know, you can, yeah, you can see uh, stuff on paper, but you need the green to take the bank. It's funny. I was just going to ask you about the catering next because a lot of restaurants, um, are, if they're if they're looking for different pro- different profit centers, and catering absolutely can be that. And, yeah, and you already hinted at that, and I was going to ask you about that, but but um, you know, sure, oper- operating a restaurant, uh, just food and beverage right now, it's tight, and 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 you're obviously been doing it for a long it time, is. so you found. The, the formula, but if for a new person starting, they're going to learn really quickly uh, that it's not a glamorous business that you become a millionaire overnight in. Um, no. And uh, so you you need to do a lot of different things these days, especially and run everything perfectly first of all, and then then get involved in things like takeout and delivery, depending on your concept. Uh, but catering can mm-hmm. also be a big piece of it. What what have you learned in that space? Well, I had some experience on how to do it, and 
it's definitely a logistical lift. You know, you have to plan. But in that planning, one of the one, the, the knowns, you have many more knowns in catering. You know how many, what time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much they're going to spend. Uh, you get you can get part of the payment up front. Um, sure. And you, you have much less waste in food, beverage, and labor. Your your three big, you know, gross profit items, and a lot of money falls down to the bottom line, particularly if you can utilize your restaurant for prep. And we've gotten to the point where we lease space. Well, for the last five years, we had an opportunity to take over the food service for a South Bend Country Club, and we did that. And it's just, after the five years, you know, a club is not a restaurant, and their expectations are different. And that really was a drag on our productivity and our labor and our some of our costs. So we did not renew it and found another uh, space, which uh, some people uh, just north of us in Niles, Michigan, they converted a, a rather big restaurant that had a 3,000-square-foot kitchen into the supper club, you know, to do events, an event club. And they also own um, a chapel uh, further out of town. Uh, where they they now have a tent and they're going to erect another facilities for um, for doing weddings on Saturdays, and it's a huge estate and they renovated a seventeen thousand square foot house. But at any rate, they asked us, "Do you want to be the exclusive caters?" We've had a relationship, and I said, "Absolutely." So now we have two outside uh, a farm venue, a luxury estate venue with a kitchen facility that we rent for half the cost that we were at the country club what we paid them a month so it has really grown our catering business really to the point that now we're picking and choosing and we are advertising ourselves as you know know, high-end weddings and impact events that are Mm -hmm. bigger higher income and the higher the income, the more drops to the bottom line. And it's great to have a restaurant, too, that supports not only, your, you know, the physical aspects, but the reputation drives, yes, sir. you know, the catering reputation. It's kind of LaSalle Grills, the mothership, you know, and from that grew LaSalle Kitchen and Tavern and LaSalle Catering. But catering is that has become a growth area. Our local Roos Chris, uh, which is owned by, which now is owned by uh, the, the the franchise uh, through Indiana, Ohio, part of Ohio, and uh, a couple down in St. Louis by a local person. They added catering, and I I, I don't know that I've ever seen any other Roos Chris. It's kind of unusual for them to be in this size market, but this guy who eventually bought it and this developer wanted one, you know, and so he got one. And now they cater, and they've followed us into the country club to expand their catering. So it just tells me that, hey, they're seeing something in catering as well. And now that niche of the market has gotten ultra competitive, you know, the kind of the high-end catering where – yeah. I do it. My local, my competitor, uh, one block south of me downtown, does it. 
uh, he was actually a caterer that opened some restaurants, you know, and I'm a guy who had a restaurant or two and started catering. But it's yeah. now an integral part of our business and supports uh, quite a bit of the things uh, that we like to do and are fun to do and has, has allowed us to breathe easier because it's uh, it's just much more profitable because of all those knowns, those known factors. Yeah, no, I would just think just a, as a quick lesson for folks listening in that yeah, if you have a successful restaurant, it doesn't mean that you need to run off and build for them uh, in the same town no. or next town over. I mean, that's, that might that might spread you too thin. This this model here um, where you make sure you're, you're doing something well and then building off the brand uh, into a profitable niche is, is a good strategy as well. And then you can, then continue to grow from there as your, as your desires uh, increase and so forth. But yeah. as we start to wrap up, I want to ask you about one or two more things. And, and one of, what, the, one of, one of okay. them is, is social media and fine dining. So a lot of people are, you know, maybe are thinking social media uh, more in the casual space and quick service and things like that. How do you guys treat that digital landscape as more of an upscale fine dining things? What are things you do that you found has worked? What do you think? Well, I think the big thing, and we learned that this just this week, we've been trying to get our, our tavern manager to take more pictures of food, you know, take pictures of people having fun. He took a picture, we put a new, uh, we're kind of in between tavern chefs, and we're, we're interviewing right now, and we put one of our guys, our catering chef actually, up there to hold the line because nothing much goes on in March. Uh and he, he came up with this lob, crab and lobster roll, look, homemade chips on a board. And they put it at this the most popular table by this big window. There's brick out there. And I think the new phones also have these portrait things. My daughter was showing me with her iPhone 10. I guess I've got to get one now and dump my there 6. You but you focus on an item, and it kind of blurs the background a little. You can still see what it is, but it makes mm-hmm really beautiful photographs and they took a photograph of that yeah. thing all of a sudden in a day there's two two thousand likes yikes and people i was up there last night places full by you know 6 30 i'm going jeez and it was a lobster roll lobster roll lobster roll so i told my uh, cabin manager i said can you take more pictures please <laughs> put them up that not just the yeah, that works. <laughs> and yeah. boom and so that it's easy to do because, you know, the upstairs venue is a millennial spot, and they're all over social media. I think you have to be a little bit more careful with what we do um, for uh, LaSalle Grill. Though a couple weeks ago we did, uh, we hit our three diamond. There was an article that had, I think had come out before, but I was going to share it anyway, that, it said nine restaurants, nine top restaurants in Indiana that are worth the hullabaloo, and we got named number one. I don't know where the thing came from, but I said, I'll take it, I'll use it. You know, And that got shared and, and, and everything. We, we ask our staff, and we don't do a, a great job of this now, but, hey, you can have your phone on you, but you have to agree. When we, when we have something, we're going to come up to you and say, hey, Go to our go to our site and share this, will you? So that you're pumping mm-hmm. out to all their friends and their friends. You know, you, the whole thing is yeah. is creating volume of posts, and so uh, we're doing that. We're trying to do better. Like that. One one mm-hmm. thing that really proved to be great was uh, we had a 
a, a second year of a gift card flash sale. We did okay. it the Monday before Thanksgiving. And only used social media. It cost us about $350. We brought in the, that day 75000 in sales. Oh, yeah. Nice. We we discounted thirty dollars off a hundred. You had to buy a hundred, and sure. people were buying. And one person bought ten thousand dollars worth. I mean, it was like <laughs> crazy, oh. you know. Well, that was we found out it was medical, the South Bend Medical Foundation, and they mm-hmm. came in January and used them all. <laughs> yeah. So, but I said, oh, boy, I'm going to do. It's a limited time offer. LTOs are real popular now. Sure. And the gift cards, as you well know, 12% on average don't come back. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they get lost, they disappear, people forget about them. They're the most beautiful thing in our business, I think. It's an interest-bearing loan to us. And that really helps. Yeah, I mean, for sure. It really captures our year. Yeah, that's, uh, well, and I really do like... social media. I like that as well. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not. Uh, you, you can react quickly. You can, you can put that up there, and you're going to see the results. Bing, bang, boom, right away for that. And I do like, I do like mm-hmm. asking your staff to promote. Um, if your staff doesn't feel comfortable promoting your stuff, then something's wrong in the equation of what you're doing. Um, but, but using them, sure. people. Let's say, let's let's say you have 20, 30, 40, 50 people on staff. That just amplifies the effect. And especially some of these younger folks have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that that are attached to their networks. And then it just amplifies the message and, and gets it out there. So I like those tips. Do you find, um, uh, in terms of platforms that you use, Facebook the most, or is it Instagram now? Which one or two or well, three do you look at? Yeah, we're linked. To it. Yeah, the the Facebook is linked to the Instagram, and those are the mm-hmm. two I use most of the time. I don't know if Snapchat's ready. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it you know it disappears. Um, Twitter I just never understood too well, but but. Again, our Facebook, our marketing person, I use my outside consultant who I'm meeting with at one uh, to kind of catch up on all the things we're doing for the rest of the year, it has linked many of those sites together. You know, so, gotcha. you know, your Facebook feed goes to your Instagram feed, of course, because they're the same company, and then it also goes to Twitter. And then after that, I don't know, the rest of them have gotten Urban Spoon and some of those others have just gotten lost. Yeah, well, the you're on the you're on the big ones the there. Activity. Yeah, you're you're yeah. following the two the two biggest, and so and, and there's always there's and, always going to be a new one, and yeah, yeah, it, it my, just my be too question. much to go to too many. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. There's there's too much. So my my last question kind of goes back to something you said early on. You said you're you're a big reader. Uh, you mentioned Tom Peters back in the day, but so so where do you go for inspiration, or who's who's a role model for you, or a mentor, or what sort of uh, stuff do you like to read to get you energized, or who do you look for for advice? Just kind of picking your brain there. Well, I've uh, I, I I utilize you, RestaurantOwner.com. If you don't mind me telling you some of your other competitors, sure. Joel Cohen, RestaurantMarketing.com, um, and Joel, that's where I got. He, he's always saying, "Be the mayor, be the mayor, yeah. Oh, yeah. get involved in your community, be the mayor, and it pays off." But those are some of the things. Right now, I'm taking my management staff through part by part of how to win friends and influence people. It mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. the primer. It is the granddaddy of all self improvement books. <laughs> and I and I yes, sir. I grabbed it at the library on on CD. 
and listened to it, and I said, man, there's timeless information. He's kind of old-timey, but they do have one now, out how to win friends and influence people in the digital age, and we're going to go through that next to see. It kind of adapts it. It was written in 2011, so it's really updated. Those are, and I said, let's do that of my insurance age, and I just renewed um, my policies and with a new company, and he came in, he says, I'm bringing you a book. I'm bringing your binders, and uh, I'm bringing you a book. I said, well, don't keep me in suspense. What is it? He said, start with why. Mm-hmm. And I've been hearing more and more about that, and I'm going to later and watch this. Oh, start with why? It came up yeah, in the web, webinar. You know, he, they said, particularly with the millennial generation, you have to tell people why. In adult learning, you must tell them why they have to learn this and how it will benefit them not only at work but in their person, possibly in their personal lives. So I think this may go that way. But there's a TED Talk by the author, and I can't even think of the author is. Um, but this is a hot book, and I think it's just come mm-hmm. off the bestseller look uh, list, but it, it has been one. So that'll be my next one. I look. Uh, I I also subscribe to uh, Union Square Hospitality Group to their mm-hmm. emails. Right. Let us entertain you. Some of the bigger kind of independent restaurant groups, though, Danny Myers kind of gone chain now with Shake Shack. He's, yeah, you know, but many people will come in and I, and I found it. Somebody came, they were, came from New York some years ago and they go, you know what this place reminds me of? Union Square Cafe in New York City. And they draw a lot of parallels, which I'm honored to hear. And now people will come in and they said, you know, there's a restaurant that I go to in New York and you know this? I said, Union Square Cafe. They go, how'd you know? I said, because I've heard it. <laughs> So that's a person, and and right now I'm tracking his no uh, hospitality included. We are though we're not completely ready for that. I'm I'm coming to more of a mind that 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 is the way to go uh, for the future. You know, in our in our business, it's it's right. It seems to be only adopted by few. And, but I track articles that, that might be popping up. Uh, I go to eater.com um, for Chicago and, you know, where Denver. I have a son in Denver. I look at those. But you can learn a lot on that. And then, you know, yeah. different restaurateurs, blogs. There's There is so much to be good. learned and instructed on how to run a good restaurant that's available for free on the Internet. Yep. 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 And... Yeah, that's good. It's good to hear where, where where folks like you are getting their information from. And it's funny, I, I just I, I spun around in my chair and I pulled out my my copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it is the hokiest title you've ever heard of, and it, it, I think it scares people yes. away. But I'm glad you're using it because it absolutely is one of the best books uh, you it's, can ever it's, read. It's such through. common sense things that you can easily overlook because our human nature doesn't always, you know, lead us into you know you see somebody smile at them. You know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you never win an argument. Oh, my God, when I read that, I go, how true is that? <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. How much sleep right. have I lost yeah. when I argued with somebody? And then I said, why did I do that? You know, I was wrong. And then now I go, you know, boy, can I talk to you? I'm, I apologize for being such a idiot, you know, uh, and learning how to 
apologize. But the things, you know, using people's names, I constantly realize that. We've always assiduously not allowed our staff to go, hi, I'm Mark, I'll be your server tonight. No. That went, that went out in the 70s. It's more important that you know their name. Hello, Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith. Welcome to LaSalle Grill. We're so pleased to have you here tonight. And then continue to use their name. I said, we'll give you a chit out of GuestBridge, you know, our reservation software. And it has their name. Use it. Yeah, I think Carnegie's phrase is nothing. Yep, there you go. Yeah, the sweetest thing they can hear is their own name. So that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So as we um, as we wrap, remind folks where they can find you in the real world, uh, where they can find you online. What are some of those names and addresses? Uh, physical address. Yeah, everything. The building. Lay, lay a song. Where, where, yeah. yeah, where can they where can no, they find we're, you? We're located and, and down you? South Bend uh, at 115 West Colfax Avenue, right in the heart. And actually, a building that will be 150 years old this September 10th, the oldest commercial building in South Bend. And uh, it's in the original plat that was granted by Andrew Jackson in 1835, which is kind of cool. But online, we're LaSalleGrill.com. And then overall, if you want to see everything, LaSalleHospitalityGroup.com. But... uh, Come on over. Uh, it's uh, if if you want to see some snow, if you live in a warm area, we have it in spades this year. <laughs> Recently went through a flood after the last thaw that we had uh, two weeks ago, but we're recovering. And uh, I hear you're in Orlando. Outside of Orlando area right now. We don't have snow. We don't have snow. I'll, well, I'll be <laughs> headed down there for a wedding next Wednesday. I'm looking so forward to Yeah. Yeah. Putting shorts on and yes, going sir. to yeah, you will be. Orlando. I appreciate you sharing so much today of the history, the story. Uh, I wrote down a bunch of tidbits of, of things that were kind of neat in the, that you folks do, and you guys have had lots of success. So I, I appreciate you sharing so mm-hmm. much with, with us today. Uh, it's great to have you on. Well, it's been my pleasure, Jamie. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it's, it's always fun to talk to, to folks that are doing it, and, and really the, the folks that have done it for a long time, and it means they're doing something right because it's a competitive landscape. So uh, as I wrap up, folks, uh, thanks for listening. It's been Jamie Oichel from RunningRestaurants.com along with Mark McDonald of LaSalle Grill in Southland, Indiana. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you soon. Bye-bye.